people kind of wanted me to choose one or another. Um, you know, are you black? Are you going to hang out with like the black kids at school? Are you Hispanic? Are you going to identify as that? Or kind of, you know, where, where do you fit in? And I, I think I really struggled with that. I think in some cases I really leaned toward one way versus another. And then, you know, I ended up kind of like doing the opposite and just trying to figure it out. And ultimately, like you kind of come to a conclusion where you're like, actually, yeah, I'm, I am both. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not like one or the other. Hello, and welcome to the Raised by Immigrants podcast. I'm your host, Kavi Sebastian, and together we'll create a space where we can bond over the experience of being children of immigrants. We'll talk about everything from relationships and family to mental health and careers, all from the lens of being in between one culture and another. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Raised by Immigrants. I know we missed an episode there. I was traveling and away, so I couldn't post an episode for you all, but we are back in business, and I'm here today with a guest episode. I have Micaela Estevez, who is a good friend and client of mine. Mika is a creative marketing professional with a passion for meeting new people and trying new things. She loves the arts and digital entertainment, and she's driven by a desire to expand her knowledge through new experiences. Originally from New York City, Mika is the coolest triple threat. She's an entrepreneur, a black belt in Taekwondo, and a YouTuber creating relaxing and fun content, which, by the way, you should definitely check out. I will link all of her channels below in the show notes, so definitely give her a follow. Her entrepreneurship journey began recently in March of 2022 when she and her best friend began the Wildflower Company, a planner company and supportive community dedicated to helping people cultivate a thoughtful, meaningful, and aligned lifestyle. In her free time, you can find Mika hanging out with her friends, listening to music, or starting a new crochet project. Together, Mika and I talk about what it's like being raised by an immigrant and how this shaped her experience growing up and her views on beauty and so much more. All right. Hello, Mika. Welcome to Raised by Immigrants. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Crazy that our sort of relationship has been a whirlwind and and we went to college together but didn't really kind of connect until more recently it's so funny the other day we were on on that call and you were talking about that class that we were in together and I couldn't for the life of me remember like the name of the class I was like yeah we were in a class together no clue what class it was (laughs) I think it was like an economics class I just distinctly remember the professor spit gum in your hand <laughs> okay, well, I de- I deeply remember that class. That's so real. I think it might have even just been like a marketing class, and we had like a guest professor in one day. That was so crazy. Actually, I I forgot about that until you mentioned that. That's so true. He really did. He spit on his gum and put it in my hand, and I I forgot like what the point was that he was making. But I was just like sitting there, front row of this auditorium, like, oh, <laughs> yep. This man I just met 20 minutes ago put his gum in my hands. Like, that's different. <laughs> Definitely not COVID friendly. That would not fly today. 
not even a little, like not even a little. So funny. And then, you know, we kind of really got connected through our mutual friend who is now your co-founder. So exciting, which we'll definitely dive into. Um, But I guess we can start it off by kind of talking about how being raised by an immigrant shaped who you are today. Totally. Um, So my my mom is an immigrant. My dad is not. My mom was from the Dominican Republic, and my dad was. She was born and raised there. She moved uh, to the United States. She moved to New York City at nineteen. My dad, however, was born and raised in New York City, much like myself. <laughs> um, and truthfully, like thinking about, I think like my growing up, my mom and I were like best friends. I'm an only child, so uh, up until I like started like going out by myself my parents started like letting me hang out you know without them or like go places without them she and I were like attached at the hip like everything she did I wanted to do everywhere she went I wanted to go if she was going grocery shopping I was going if she was going to the hair salon I was going like whatever it was I was there um and so I think in a lot of ways she kind of felt a little bit like an older sister as well um I think like growing up I was always really just like inspired by her like just general resilience she's gone through a lot and has experienced a lot of adversity throughout her life and somehow still manages to like look at the bright side of things and focus on her successes and her love for herself and other people uh in the process and that of course like isn't to say that like there aren't some deep-rooted traumas that she needs to address but you know I I just really admire her like just ability to really like bounce back. Uh, I think it's super inspiring her just like gumption and like ballsiness and just her ability to always just like see the glass half full. Um, A little bit like more about her. She is from the Dominican Republic. She ran away from home at 19. Yeah. She was 19 years old uh, and she moved to New York city. She only knew a few people there. Her sister was there and she had like an aunt and a couple of cousins she didn't speak like any English um, and somehow still managed to gra- like go back to school, graduate and get a job. Uh, she graduated uh, top of her class and uh, started working at mm-hmm. Bear Stearns back when it existed. Um, all also while having had a kid super young. Um, so she is just awesome. She had me at like, she turned like 24, uh, like a month after she had me, which is crazy because we're like 25. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, can you imagine having like uh, an almost two year old right now? Like, no, absolutely not. Even oh. thinking back to just being 19 and where my head was at, I can't imagine <laughs> having like gone to a completely new country like that. What caused her to run away from home? I know. Uh, she had a really strained relationship with her parents growing up. Uh, I think like a lot of, a lot of like Im- immigrant stories, I think like people want like the struggle culture of it all. Like people are like, oh, like she must be from a third world country and must have lived in poverty. Honestly, my mom and her family were like upper middle class Dominicans. <laughs> like they all went to like, you know, private school, like they were chilling. Uh, but her parents were super restrictive and um, like didn't really let her do anything outside of school and like a couple extracurriculars. She wasn't allowed to do extracurriculars unless her younger sister was allowed to do it with her. 
Um, she wasn't allowed to like date. Um, she wasn't really allowed to go to friends' houses or like sleepovers. So she kind of grew up feeling just super restricted and like lacking a lot. And her dad in particular was just like super uh, machismo, which is just to say like very misogynistic, which is really, first of all, rings true just in the world, but yeah. also is real uh, just within like Latin and Hispanic cultures. It's very uh, patriarchal um, in a lot of ways. It, there are some ways where it is a little matriarchal as well, but it's super patriarchal. Um, and around like September, October of like my mom being 19, like one of her aunts, like let it slip that she had been seeing this guy and my grandfather freaked out so much though, that he threatened to kill her and yeah, wild. And, uh, she, didn't stick around to call his bluff. Uh, she was like, all right, uh, I'm going to up and go. And that night she literally like packed her bag, snuck out and left um, and moved to New York. <laughs> like just did it overnight. Like so crazy. Did she choose New York because she already had family there or had she always sort of wanted to make that move? Yeah, I think it was an easy move. One, because she did have some family there, but also um, because having family there she and like her, her family had like traveled to New York a ton back and forth, just like visiting family and vacationing there. So it was also just a place I think she felt that was somewhat familiar. Like she'd already been there. She already knows like, you know, where she's going to some extent. Um, But I think really it was that she had like a semblance of a support system there. A a tragic story, I think for the reason of, of having to kind of separate and flee like that. But like you said, props to her resilience and and just balls for doing that I I don't think I could I definitely couldn't at 19 dude I was worried about like why my boyfriend wouldn't text me back like (laughs) like you know like it's such a different it's just such a different world and such a different experience and yeah she's awesome but I mean for all I think maybe the the trauma or hardships that came from that I'm sure you know it's, it's also the culture she grew up in so how does she like fold in that Dominican culture for you and and for your own family. Super true. I think like what's so interesting is I think when I was younger, uh, I was much more involved with like my mom's side of the family. Um, She is closest with her older sister. Um, She's one of six kids Um, and she has two older siblings and three younger siblings. Um, And so she, and just like her one older sister are just like inseparable besties best friends like you know what have you I don't I'm only child I don't have siblings so like I I can't relate in that sense um but she and her sister when I was born were living together and my cousin was actually just born like two months prior so like they were going through super similar situations and we're raising kids together, semi-single. I mean, my mom and I, my mom and my dad were together, but they weren't married. So they weren't living together. They had only been dating, I think like a little over a year when she got pregnant. So um, it was still all super new. And so in that vein, I was around family a lot just because my aunt and my cousin were there and they lived a couple blocks from like their aunts and cousins. And so just by proximity, we were together all the time. Um, I think 
around the time I like entered like first grade, my parents had just gotten married and they'd moved in together. And I, um, retrospectively noticed like a slight shift because the proximity changed. Like suddenly now I was physically closer to my dad's side of the family who literally lived like a floor or two above us. Like we all live in the same building. So it was then easier to see them. And on top of the fact that like my mom at this point is in her like mid to late twenties and she's like coming into herself, as you might imagine, like we're all doing right now in our twenties but she's managing to do this with a a full-time job and a baby (laughs) and like, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think she really looked to my dad for like a lot of help when it came to like actually trying to like find herself, find her place, find where she fit in. I think she really, really wanted to assimilate ultimately. Um, and working in like a corporate culture, like she was doing working at these like investment banking firms, Um, she like wanted to assimilate to whatever culture she was like within, which is just kind of like white American culture. (laughs) Um, so I think like around that time was when I started seeing less of the Dominican influences and more of like the American influences. And for a time, like my family really tried to like kind of split it up. So, you know, we would do Thanksgiving the first half of the day with my dad's side of the family. And then, you know, we would do the Dominican Thanksgiving with another giant feast. And then, you know, we would do Christmas morning with my dad's side of the family. We'd do a big breakfast. And then the night before for a Noche Buena, um, we would celebrate with the Dominican side of the family. And that was like a really big, you know, another feast celebration. We would cook a big uh, pernil, which is a big, uh, you know, pork and uh, lots of other, lots of other foods, open presents at midnight. So I think for the first, maybe let's say 10 to 12 years, we really did a good job of like trying to manage both. I think my dad also is super supportive I think like he wanted me to also like delve into Dominican culture more so my parents also for elementary school put me in a dual language program where for school we were like half the week we were learning in English and half the week we were learning in Spanish and we were learning all the things you would learn in elementary school how to read write do math and all that stuff in two languages which I thought was really cool or I think is really cool retrospectively at the time I didn't know any differently Mm -hmm. um And yeah, I think as I got older, once I started like doing my own thing and developing like my own relationships and also as you get older, like family dynamics start to really open up in a different light. um, I I started seeing a little bit less of my mom's side of the family. Did it ever feel like you were running around between two worlds just kind of in hindsight? all the time, (laughs) all the time, all the time, especially because, uh, just of the way I look, I think like, I'm not, I'm, I'm racially ambiguous in a little ways. And like, you know, in some ways, I think a lot of people know that or think that I'm mixed in ways, but like, actually my parents are the same color. So like racially, I'm, I'm not (laughs) mixed where I'm I'm for Latina. I'm African-American. Like, whatever you want to call it. Culturally, though, I am mixed. And I think that like, up until very recently, people didn't really understand the difference between being like biracial and bicultural. 
Um, And I did really feel like in some cases between those cultures, but me being, you know, my whole family being South Asian, I, I didn't really have as much of that push and pull. So I wonder like, what was it like for you kind of being so intimately growing up between two cultures, one being an immigrant culture and one being kind of like a native born American culture, mm-hmm. from, especially from your dad's side. Definitely. It was a little frustrating growing up because it felt evident that one side, like one culture was, I think, like accepted and respected a little bit more than the other. I think like my mom being an immigrant and like wanting to assimilate kind of like push that aside a little. And I don't think my dad really made a lot of an effort to really like maintain that culture. I don't think he was super interested in it. He, my parents are divorced now also, (laughs) but um, he's, doesn't speak Spanish. And my mom grew up speaking Spanish. She, she learned English like a year before they met, um, or maybe two years before they met. Um, he never really took the time to kind of build relationships with my mom's side of the family. Um, and in a lot of ways, like that really strained our relationship and my relationship with my mom's side of the family. Um, and I think that like, in one vein, I think it like kind of stems from kind of an elitist view, but I think also it's so American to be like, well, American culture is the culture and you're in America now. (laughs) And so I think it was a few things kind of just at play here. Mm -hmm. How did that affect your relationship with the Dominican culture? Did that like influence it at all? Yeah. I, I sometimes feel like I'm not as, in or I often feel like I'm not as in tune with like my Dominican culture as I as I could be I think like growing up here being a person of color being black and like you know experiencing American culture like uh, black people in America are talked about all the time and it's it's like a super common topic it's a really tangible topic like it's really built into our systems and our culture um just like oppression and all that but I think that kind of looking at the opposite side of that it's it was hard to or rather it was easy to understand and learn about and identify with like black American culture because it is ultimately American culture Mm -hmm. I think like in order to like learn more about Dominican culture and delve into that more and feel more connected to that it was something that I actually had to make an effort to do And it was something that I didn't really realize until like later in life. I was like in college when I was like, huh, like, that's so interesting. I see I'm seeing like my Latin friends join like uh, Latin groups on campus or my black friends join black frats at their schools and like kind of figuring out like, where do I fit in all this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that like, just because of all that, I feel a bit of, I still feel a bit of a disconnect um, from Dominican culture. Yeah, that's, it's so fascinating that you point out, especially college, because I think such a transitory phase of your life, and that's when you get to decide where you put that time. And I know for me, when I went to college, I was so intentional about wanting to 
surround myself kind of similar, like you said, I wanted to be in South Asian groups um, and, and multicultural, diverse groups. Um, you know, we both went to a predominantly white institution for college. And I, I don't know about before that for you, but for me, like since preschool onwards, I was just, it was always majority white. Um, yeah. And I still remember the day that I noticed that I looked different and that my skin was different. Um, what was that like for you? Do you have that moment where you remembered that or, or kind of knew it? Or was it sort of a slower burn for you? I think like it was a bit of a slow burn, mostly because of the like dual language program. I think that like actively, you know, learning about Latin culture and and learning the language I think helped in a lot of ways where it was like, oh, like in my tiny little seven-year-old world, we're all doing this. Um, but I started like, you know, making friends in my classes and I started going to friends' houses and suddenly we were doing all these things together and like summer would come and my, you know, friends had like summer homes and we would go to these pool parties and stuff. And I realized, and this is so funny, I, I realized that like, the number one thing that like really stood out to me was like, why is it my hair drying the same way? Like, that's so crazy. And I, I literally could not wrap my head around it. I was like, why? Like, I don't yeah. understand why that's different. And like, that's not to say that one is better than the other. I think at the time I didn't really have a co- like a conscious idea of like what, or, or just of generally the significance of like hair and natural hair. And obviously the natural hair movement came years after that, but I was just so baffled and I was like, I, I can't figure it out. And then I, I like slowly came to realize that actually this is the way that my hair grows out of my head. And this, that's the way that their hair grows out of their heads. Um, and over time I started to realize I was like, Oh, there are differences. And Oh, like there, the differences become more noticeable and more tangible as you get older. And like, I also, retrospectively so vividly remember like in like third grade and this happened in like middle school too I have ADHD and I'm just a super talkative person and my voice carries it like really cuts through the air so like I'm in like third grade you know just kind of like chatting it up with my fellow like desk mates and I was the one that was always getting in trouble my teacher was always calling my parents and I so much so that I like and in like at like seven or eight years old, like memorized my like mom's cell phone number because I was like, well, she's going to call again. So (laughs) I'd rather her call my mom than my dad. Like she's going to be so much nicer about this. And like retrospectively, I was like, obviously, I'm not talking to myself at this desk. Like obviously, these other kids are talking with me. Why am I the only one getting called out? And for a long time, I was like, well, because your voice carries, which might be the case in a lot of in a lot of ways. Uh, retrospectively, I felt like I was really being called out for other reasons. I really feel like I was being like targeted in a lot of ways. And then in middle school, I came across a really similar situation with my homeroom teacher who was like, at that point, you're like a lot, you're older and you're able to kind of understand, you know, the concept of like racism and discrimination and, uh, profiling. And I, along with like, the other like two people of color in my class realized that like we were really being targeted by this homeroom teacher so much so that he uh on my report card made a typo and gave me a like a 78 instead of an 88 
uh, on my report card and my parents had to intervene and were like, actually what's going on. Mm -hmm. He's always getting me in trouble for talking in class for, um, he, he accused me of cheating on several quizzes. Um, and it was just like, after a while it was blatant, like who in the classroom he was really like targeting. I think navigating like PWIs in general, right. And being, the only one that stands out for one reason or another. And I think with our cultures and, and our skin and different like aspects of, of just ourselves, I think that really, especially at a young age, like what eighth grade, that is so young to kind of know that you're the target for, for one reason or another. Totally. How would you say that affected your like self-confidence? Cause I, for me, I think you're a very confident person. And, and obviously, we've come a long way since our middle school days. I can tell you, I, I was very shy in middle school. But, you know, how did it affect you, um, kind of that aspect of it? I definitely have not always been a, a very confident person. Um, I think I've definitely gained a lot of confidence over time. Um, middle school was such a crazy self-conscious, insecure time for everybody, you know, your body's changing, you're becoming aware of your body, you're becoming aware of other people's bodies, like, Mm -hmm. you're starting to form, like, attractions to people, and you're navigating that, and it's just an awkward, weird, transitional period for everyone, and they also just, like, put everybody in those, like, three crucial years into one building together, and are like, good luck, (laughs) crazy, Um, but I think what helped me and I don't think I did this consciously was just kind of like really delving into the things that like made me stand out I was like yeah I am loud (laughs) yeah I do have big hair (laughs) like yeah I have a big personality and I really was just like you know what like screw it like people like me for this and like that is what it is and I really identified with being like the like loud, disruptive person in class and in school. Um, it wasn't until I like got a little bit older that I was like, huh, <laughs> I wonder why I've been labeled the loud one. And like not all the other people who are super duper loud and have big personalities, you know. Um, and really, I, like, it's just because I was the only one that looked different. You know, I was the one that they could actually physically see, like, that's different. Yeah. Um, apart from the fact that like, perhaps my, my loudness was different in comparison to some other people and, and some other aspects, but, uh, yeah, confidence was definitely learned <laughs> over time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, what about you? What was like your, your confidence journey? Like, oh gosh, I think, I mean, I was definitely a shy kid in general, but I think around high school was when I started opening up a little more to, to just even like strangers or my friends and showing off whether it was like skills or finding different things that I think I found comfort in being uncomfortable with and taking those baby steps. Um, I I think for me, confidence really came from like body image a lot, especially when you're younger, like you were saying, you're just so aware of it. And I definitely felt like I had to go on that journey a lot earlier um, I think a lot of people do it while they're in, te- in the teenager stage, usually go through a few phases of it. Um, yeah. And I feel like I went through it like all at once. Um, and so it really, I think, forced me to sit down with myself and kind of almost create my own definition of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it still happens even today, especially today, actually. There are times when I look back and I'm like, 
who, who made me feel that way? You know, just being around so many people who don't look like you really skews your idea of beauty. And, And I, I feel like knowing that you're surrounded by people who don't look like you really changes the perspective. And obviously I didn't know that at the time that I was growing up, I wasn't that aware of it, but looking back, it's easy to see why I felt that way. And it really changes how you feel about yourself, like even today. So mm-hmm. little things like that, I think it still progresses and still happens. But I think my confidence journey really came from understanding those differences and acknowledging them. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think like being one of very few, I mean, my middle school, I think my grade was about a hundred people, hundred kids. And of those 100, maybe like five to 10 of us max. I don't even think it was 10. It was like maybe like seven or eight of us were people of color wow. in general, like not even just like, you know, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, just straight up people of color. And that was crazy. <laughs> so yeah. like actually just seeing like, oh, like we're the odd ones out in this school of hundreds of white people. Um, and you find yourself in middle school really just trying to like fit in and fitting in at the time was being white, right? Like, oh, maybe I don't want to get too tan at the beach. Oh, I'm going to straighten my hair and just like kill my hair with a straightener every single morning as if it, I could get any straighter. Like, that's crazy. Um, yeah, it was so interesting. And I, I think, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, um, but I think with parents of color and my mom coming from, a a culture that of course was also, or like a country that of course was also colonized and really Westernized and really values like Western ideals and Western beauty standards. Um, and isn't quite as progressive as the U S today, or maybe as like specific, like New York city more specifically today. Uh, I feel like I really grew up with a lot of unrealistic beauty standards. I think like, you know, Dominican people are not, uh, as like a culture, I still have a lot of racism rooted within the culture. It's similar to the U.S., um, except like it is a little bit more like overt and apparent. Like they'll just tell you to your face. So like my grandma hates that I wear my hair curly. She's like, oh, but like you look so beautiful with your hair straightened. Like, why do you wear your hair like that? She'll compare me to like a spider. She's like, you look crazy. And I'm wow. like, well, it is what it is. And she says the same thing to all my cousins. She said the same thing to my mom. Like it's a generational thing for sure. But like growing up and having to like hear my family who looks like, who look like me yeah, say things like that and, and like, you know, kind of grappling with the idea that like the way that I look naturally isn't acceptable enough. You know, I have to change something. I have to fix something. Um, and having that like within the household, my dad's black. So he grew up in a really similar like ideal with similar ideals of like, you need to change, you need to assimilate, you need to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. It, I don't think I really like came to those like realizations and conclusions until a little later in life where I was like, Oh, all this shit is just made up. (laughs) Like we just made that up. Like we just like beauty standards change every like 20, 10 to 20 years. Like they just like make it up like women's bodies trend. I mean, we, we literally, we literally saw the shift between having like a big butt being a problem. And suddenly it's like, people are 
you know, dying in surgery to get a huge butt. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Like growing up, everybody was like, oh, does my ass look big in this? Like, oh, like, did I get better jeans? Like, oh, like she has such like a tiny butt. How cute. And now everybody wants to be yeah, Kim Kardashian. And it's like, yeah. whoa, that's crazy. How like it actually is so arbitrary. Um, and like realizing that as I got older was like, oh, huh. Beauty is so subjective. <laughs> and it's like sure. so just like everything, all the beauty standards that you know today are just made up. Someone just was like, the patriarchy, men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see like who sets those beauty standards because you're right that it's arbitrary, but it's also like, like the Kardashians, they may have some ethnic background way far back, but like they're still white women. (laughs) And, And the people around them, especially at the time we were young, it was like, the Paris Hiltons and the Selena Gomez and you know things like that and and they were and seeing like Selena Gomez is such a good example like when we were younger she was like stick thin and she was still the beauty standard and now she's like kind of filling out her body she also has like an illness and people are ragging on her but I think like she looks beautiful right like she it makes sense that when you age that's how you look of course my body looks different than it did when I was 16, 17, 18. I was yeah. literally a child. <laughs> like I'm a grown adult woman today. Of course I've gained weight. Of course my body is, has changed and I've like curved out in different places. Like my body is the body of like a grown woman. And especially when you think about just like the beauty standard the fact that the beauty standard is just rooted in like racism. For you, what would you say was the best thing you did or experienced that really helped your self-confidence from like the beauty standpoint? Definitely. I think uh, first and foremost, like I, I got to a point in high school where I was like, doing my makeup every day and doing my hair every day is like kind of a lot. <laughs> I was like, I'm tired. I don't want to wake up two, three hours before school to like freshly wash my hair and do a full face of makeup just for what? For my makeup to smudge at the end of the day and for my hair to get frizzy anyways. Like that's crazy. So eventually I I did stop wearing makeup and I I stopped. That's not to say I don't wear makeup, but I stopped wearing makeup regularly and I stopped doing my nails and I stopped worrying about my hair and I was wearing my hair up and in buns and stuff all the time. And just like existing as I naturally would (laughs) in the world. Yeah. And I realized that like after a while, after I stopped just like, like pandering or catering to this arbitrary beauty standard that I actually felt a lot more confident in myself. I I learned to, I essentially learned a new norm. Um, And as I got older, I eventually came to realize that like, all the standards and more specifically the beauty standards that we hold ourselves to are made up and can change at any time. And so like, who am I actually like catering to? If not myself, I should actually be focusing on like what makes me feel comfortable. What makes me feel good. What makes me feel beautiful, Um, which has been a journey and I'm still working on that. You know, Um, I think that like, there's a lot of stuff to be unlearned. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think truthfully, what really did help too, like there's, I, I think that like, there's a lot to be said about like colorism and like of the people of color within my predominantly white spaces, I 
am light-skinned objectively mm-hmm. and like I am treated differently than darker skinned people. And I think that like people are, were just like more willing to accept the way that like I looked naturally and the way that like some of my classmates did, mm-hmm. which like I was crazy, but I think at the time really did like, I didn't realize at the time that like, it probably also did help with like my confidence in the sense that I was like, okay, people are seeing this transition and like me being more natural and like noticing that like people were responding positively. And then I started noticing that people were not responding positively to other folks. And then I was like, yeah, this is further confirming that like this shit is all made up. (laughs) Like (laughs) this is so fake. Like suddenly like being light-skinned with curly hair and is Mm -hmm. trendy. Is this a joke? I know. I'm sure your inner child was screaming at that one. (laughs) I literally was like, what the heck? Like, what in the world? Like, it's so crazy. And also just like as a woman to to have like our our bodies come in and out of trends is like Mm -hmm. already hard to grapple with. I think like also just like growing up and watching my mom navigate those things too, I think helped a lot. Just like uh, seeing her go through things and kind of deriving my own thoughts and opinions from that and maybe deciding like, okay, like maybe I'm going to try something different or maybe I'm going to go in a different direction or, you know, just wondering why just generally. And I think like, even still like, you know, she's older than I am. And of course, a lot of these ideals are are much more deeply rooted in her and her, you know, psyche. Um, And sometimes I'm still like, oh, Um, but it's, it's been nice to see like, that growth and that change and the like mindset and mentality shift over time. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's also really beautiful to watch them unlearn and to yeah. help them unlearn. Like I think we're in the unique position of seeing and understanding both sides of the of the cultural aspects and kind of bringing them to that sweet sweet point in the middle that frankly is like our sweet spot, right? Like we created that third identity because of the choices they made, you know, your mom ran away from home. My parents, they like chose to immigrate for, you know, just to help their like future children have a better life. Mm -hmm. And we got to create that kind of middle point and help them unlearn things that maybe they never would have otherwise. Yeah, definitely. And it's so, it is really cool to watch them learn and to be able to, as adults who are also learning, have these conversations and share different perspectives and help them and guide them and kind of present new ideas. Um, and it's not always easy and it's not always received positively. <laughs> no. is it? Um, but it is really, it is really cool to be able to have those conversations and it is really great to watch some of them stick. That's a great place to end it, I think. I mean, we've talked about growing up between two different cultures, just like navigating predominantly white institutions, beauty standards. I mean, we talked about everything under the sun. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I got to share that with you and, and share it with people listening. So for people who want to connect with you more and kind of learn more about what you do, especially at Wildflower, um, do you want to kind of tell them where they can connect with you? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, you can check out the Wildflower Company at thewildflowco.com. That's flow as in like flowing hair. Uh, you can follow us on all platforms at the Wildflow Co. And you can also follow me personally at Micaela EI on all platforms. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Raised by Immigrants. Let me know what resonated with you today by tagging me on social or sending me a DM. 
You can find me on Instagram at Raised by Immigrants Podcast, or you can leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. I read and respond to all your reviews and mentions, so I can't wait to hear from you. See you next time.